Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today's conversation is called Seeing the Truth. Enjoy. Uh, this week, I am really excited to be able to preach with the one, the only, Candace Zubernot, everybody. It may look like we're standing three feet apart, but we're actually <laughs> 60 feet apart. It's the magic of television. She's actually coming in on a green screen right here. That's right. <laughs> uh, she's not here. We have so much tech available in our international ministry studio um, located here in Pasadena, California. Um, Candace and her, her wife, Crystal, and their kids, Deacon and Dylan, have been a part of the New Abbey community for the last couple years. Uh, Candace is a therapist, the founder of The Christian Closet. She's somebody who just has a well of wisdom and thoughtfulness and just depth stirring in her at all times. Uh, to be honest, uh, she probably should have preached like 40 other times before this. So I'm so excited that now is that moment. Um, that we get to share some words together, that she gets to share her experience um, and just her energy and her craft with each of us. So uh, there's going to be a little bit of magic today with Candace and I. Uh, but to get you started, we always want to put some questions out there. Uh, so we're going to break you up into Zoom groups. If you'd go ahead and click on the Connect With Us button or the Zoom link that's provided for you. Uh, and then with three or four people, you're going to answer this very light question. What feelings are you experiencing today? Enjoy. He had heard the stories for weeks that he was coming to town. The stories that this man had healed people, that he sees people for who they truly are, that there was 5,000 people who were hungry and had nothing, and that when he showed up, that they all were fed. He had heard stories about women who were caught in adultery or somebody at a well or Samaritans or demon-possessed people who had been seen and touched and known by this person. And for his entire life, he'd been living through his insecurities and his pains and his ego and trying to prove himself. He had taken money from people after people after people to give him self-worth while robbing the worth of others around him. Yet somewhere deep within his own bones, he knew this isn't truly who I am. That how I see myself and how I believe that God sees me is different than this. And so he made a risk this morning that this Jesus is coming to town, that this Jesus will be walking through Jericho. And so although I'm a smaller man, although I can't see over the crowds, I'm gonna go climb up a tree and get ahead of him, that maybe I'll be able to see who this Jesus is and maybe I'll be able to see myself that he took a risk that morning because he no longer wanted to be a fraud. He no longer wanted to minimize who his life was. He no longer wanted to live in the narratives that were given to him a long time ago. It was in this moment that he said, maybe today will be a new moment, a little bit of magic in my life, something where I can reconnect with myself. And so Zacchaeus climbed up that tree and saw this Jesus and the crowds coming his way. And that, my friends, is the story that we pick up on this morning. That we want to tell this bigger story of seeing ourselves for who we truly are. And if we're going to do that, we got to talk about some things. We got to talk about posture. And if we're gonna have some good posture, then we gotta get into a little bit of movement. And if we're gonna get into some movement, then let's talk about the toxic theology that we've all lived in. And if we can do that, then let's have some reflections. And reflections always lead you to log arms. 
you saw we were going there. And then if it's some log arms, then we'll talk about kindergarten, what a time to be alive. We'll enter into some steps. We'll talk about all the parts, a little bit of shrimp, my friends, because I mean, crustaceans, am I right? Then we'll jump into some diversity and we'll land this thing by talking about humanizing our humanity. So follow along with me in Luke chapter 19 as we hear the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, not just a normal one, in the region, and he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said. Quick, come down, I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled, notorious B.I.G. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. The story tells this interesting fact about Zacchaeus, that he was a man who was little or short. The real word here in the Greek is not just that he was shorter than other people. The word here is his posture. Not his posture just in the way of his physicality, but his entire posture of how he presented himself to the world. That it was shorter, that it was little, that it was minimized, that it was defeated somehow, that it was absence of a wholeness or the fullness of what it could be. And how many of us have been there? That there's been a posture in our life in which we haven't been fully seen for who we are. How many of us are living into old narratives, old tapes, old DVRs, I'm trying to catch this up, old live streams, whatever the technology is these days, my friends, of what other people told us? or even the narratives that we've told ourselves. How many of us have had this moment where we've had a conversation with somebody on social media from high school, or we've gone back home at Thanksgiving, or we went back and had that conversation with a friend who hasn't known us for years, and the narratives that they have about us are somebody back there, somebody less evolved, less woke, less progressive, less changed and transformed. How many of us in our own lives really believe that who we are is somebody else, that who we've become is somebody different, but every day we put on the clothes and the shoes of somebody that we haven't actually become? That what if we're minimizing ourselves? What if we're belittling and holding back the truest parts of who we are, of how God sees us? And the narrative that we're at with Zacchaeus is that maybe it's the God components of our lives that show us the true self that we actually are. That the work is one of our own humanity and the work is also one of engaging the divine. That the problem here is, or the story here I should say, is that it is a work of process. It is a work of movement. 
that it's no longer this world that we believe in, that somehow to be truly changed and transformed, you just gotta raise a hand, my brothers and sisters, and read your Bible in the morning and just lay that Bible flat on your face and let osmosis kick in and you'll be more like the Lord. I don't even know what that means. But the story is that we're not concrete, that we're not absolute, that we're not immovable, that the goal is not perfection. Even in the story of Zacchaeus, if you read the story again, you'll see that Zacchaeus is going up a tree and then down a tree and forward in the street, inviting Jesus into his house. There's all this language of movement. It's the story behind the story that's being told to all of us. That's our story. Sometimes we climb up a tree in our own insecurities or our own ego to prove ourselves to be seen. Sometimes other people have to call us back down. Sometimes we need to invite people into the most intimate areas of our homes, of our lives, of our hearts, of our being. Other times we're figuring it out. There's this constant give and take and pulling that is happening within each and every one of us. There's a movement to this story that is good and it is true and that God is always engaging us in the movement of where we're at. That regardless of the posture that we have, regardless of the ways that we may minimize our own lives, regardless of the ways that we may feel like frauds, that we may feel like imposters, that there is a God who is always reminding us of our truest selves. And for so many of us, it is the invitation of letting God in. It is the practice of maturity of saying that the divine has a part to play in this that is very difficult for us in our journeys of deconstruction and reconstruction. That for so many of us, we have a toxic theology that is happening in our lives. That there's a God out there who's quite uninteresting. That this God is vengeful and angry and mad and has massive insecurity issues. And this God every week needs millions of people to crank up the lasers and fog machines and sing Chris Tomlin at the top of their lungs in order for this God to be happy. What a weird God. A God who is insecure and is begging for our worship. And yet in the story of the gospels, Jesus never one time will say, ask you to worship God, but Jesus will constantly ask you to follow him that Jesus is inviting you into the movement, into the process, into the figuring it out. Jesus is agreeing with you that that toxic God who's just a little bit better than a Santa Claus story, maybe in fact a little bit worse, is not an interesting God at all. A God who somehow needs to send millions and billions of people of health to somehow feel better about God's self, that's weird. Instead of a story that says, wherever you find yourself, No matter if you're the most notorious sinner, my friends, this God is engaging with you in whatever posture you find yourself in and wherever movement you are at. And this God is always willing to go into the most intimate parts of your lives. And that might be big words that we can say, but how do we actually engage with that when we feel like frauds, when we feel like imposters, when we feel like that we're somehow in the movement of deconstructing and reconstructing and we're just barely finding ourselves, how would we ever find God in the midst of all of this? For those of you on Mother's Day or for parents out there, what are these feelings that we have as imposters and frauds all of the time? Am I doing this thing right? Do I even know what I'm doing? Nobody gave me a handbook on this. Look how much better everyone else is doing. And that, my friends, leads us to a little bit of Candace Zubernat. 
I first want to just apologize. I didn't quite get the uh, tuxedo memo, but I'm a lesbian, so I showed up in almost complete uh, Canadian tuxedo. So you're welcome for that. Um, next time I'll try to find my denim shoes as well. When Corey asked me if I would preach with him today, I began to reflect on motherhood, knowing today is Mother's Day. And I started to tap into those places of what has it been like to be a mother to two children that don't hold my DNA? What has it been like to be the mother of two kids that I didn't carry in my body? Even as my kids ask me like, wait, whose tummy did we come from, mommy? Uh, and the answer being, you came from someone else. You came from mama's belly, but not mine. But somehow I'm still your mother. And even on today, Mother's Day, I think Mother's Day, isn't it supposed to be that your husband does the dishes and makes you breakfast? Like, what do you do when there's two moms? Who showers who? Do we take turns? Is next year my turn? That's a long time to wait. There's a lot to unpack. I began to remember all the sleepless nights that even still happens six years in. The time I wiped poop on my forehead while changing a diaper and didn't even really know it until Crystal said, you have poop on your forehead. The countless times that either Crystal or I have caught puke in our hands, hoping that we don't have to wash another set of sheets. The time that I was throwing up and sick in a toilet and I had one child next to me asking me what was happening and the other literally crawling up my back. This very like in your face messiness, puke and poop of parenting is the thing that I've really connected with. As people have asked me, do you feel like Deacon and Dylan's mom? Do you feel like a mother? You're gay. These children don't have your DNA. Do you feel like a mom? And I've pointed to these very physical in your face experiences of absolutely I feel like their mother. I haven't had any time or space not to. So here I am six years in feeling pretty settled in to the pees and poops and throw ups. And I was not expecting, I was not expecting that something different would happen. That this punch in the gut would happen in starting kindergarten. Have you guys ever been like walking towards someone or standing and you become really aware of your arms? I mean, if you just sort of take a moment and become aware, they feel like logs. They, they can feel, I, like it's, it feels like, oh my gosh, how, how are my hands almost touching my, my knees? And you can start to try to walk and you just, you don't know what to do with your arms. Or you see like a picture of all these people and they're really relaxed and they have their arms around each other. But the last person is just kind of like, they don't know what to do with their arms. Somehow they've become super aware and it makes it just awkward. It's not a part of their body. Starting kindergarten felt like that for me. Suddenly, six years in, I was thrown into this time where for the first time I was surrounded by hundreds of other parents. And there were a lot of moms and there were a lot of dads. 
And even though there were a few other queer parents, it was like I couldn't see them. And really with the masses of the moms and dads, it almost didn't matter even if I saw the other queer parents. And I started to compare myself to them. But you guys, this was this unconscious experience. I did not realize that as I was looking at them, I wanted to see something of myself reflected, but I didn't. And I began to compare. And as I began to compare, there began to grow inside of me a shame, a shame that I was not like them. And maybe the shame meant that like, I wasn't really a mom, that I wasn't doing it right. And what happens is when we begin to compare ourselves to others is that we homogenize and generalize the other. And so even though each one of these families has these unique aspects to themselves, what I began to see is actually that they were all the same, that there was no diversity even within them. And what's crazy is that I began to almost create stories in my head of what they were like. I remember one night I was talking with Crystal and I said, God, I don't, I don't know what to talk to these other moms about. Like I, I'm gay. I have my own business. What could I possibly talk to these? Like, you know, the, I don't know any recipes by heart. And she looked at me and she said, screw you. Screw you because you know what? Most of these parents that we're interacting with, especially the moms, they're at the top of their companies. They're lawyers, they're business owners. They're not just sitting around talking about recipes. And also, by the way, a lot of the men are the ones doing the cooking in the household. But somehow I had created this like 1950s idea of what it was to be a parent. And I started to feel like my, my kids weren't getting the best that they were supposed to have a mom and a dad and a dad who went to work and a mom who stayed home. And that shame took root and it really threw me. You know, now I can talk about it and I have a level of being able to understand it. But you guys, at the time, I did not know what was going on. I had no insight. I thought, I'm six years in, what is going on? I was comfortable in my skin. I liked, I'm, I'm happy to be gay. I love being a mom. I could not understand what was going on. And there are places in your life, I know there are places in your life because this is a deeply human thing, that there are places in your life where you feel like an imposter, where you have this small voice inside of you that says you're not the real deal. And maybe you're not gay and maybe you're not a parent. And so maybe it's at your workplace and you're afraid that someone's going to find out. And every day you're so tired of waking up with anxiety because if you have to go to work one more time and pretend you know how to do it, you just want to throw up. Or maybe you have this idea of what kind of girlfriend or boyfriend or son or daughter and you just don't measure up. You feel like a fraud and you feel shameful. But what I want you to know is that whether you feel like a fraud and you actually are, or you feel like a fraud and you're not, the steps are the same. 
that the steps are that you begin to show yourself to those that you trust, whether it be a therapist or friends. You let yourself be seen in the undone places. The messy undone. When I say undone, I mean the messy places that you don't have the perfect reflection, right? It's not like you're sharing this thing that you've already figured out. There is not a nice, neat bow on this package at all. It is messy and there's still a lot left to be discovered. The steps are the same, that you let yourself be seen in the shameful parts by others and by God. There was something incredibly powerful that when I let myself start to be seen by a few people that I care about and trust, when they didn't run away, I began to find a little bit more courage. That nobody had the answer, right? Like nobody was like, oh, Candace, um, so here is what you do and say, and then you're going to feel better. No one knew. No one knew the answer, but they sat with me in it and they reflected back to me that I was loved and what they saw in me. But even more than that, they didn't run. That this thing that I thought would be so big and shameful and disgusting and gross that they would want to run from, they didn't. And when we can be ourselves in those undone messy places with people who stay with us, it is incredibly powerful because a little bit of courage starts to get inside of us and it starts to grow. And as it grows, we can begin to continue to go deeply into those stories that are calling us a fraud. Now, this next part I don't want to talk about. I do not want to talk about the God part. I would love to just be able to say like, okay, so these places of imposterism that you feel, just share with your friends or your therapist and you can stop there. But I think that there's actually something of God that we need. That there is something of God that I need. And to be clear, if where you find yourself is only being able to share with someone else, that is enough, that is good enough. I want you to hear that, that I believe that the healing that we find in our relationships with others is not absent of God. That absolutely is God. So it's okay if that's where you find yourself. But we also do need God. And the reason I don't want to talk about that is because of all of the hurt and the harm that so many of us have experienced in churches, in religious settings, in mentorships, where people have said, all you need to do is pray and you'll get your answer. The other day, my daughter Dylan said, mom, why do we even pray? Because, you know, sometimes I pray for things and they don't come true. And I just thought, yeah, that's a great question. And also we need to talk about prayer because I think we've been raised in these moments where it's like, there's a tragic thing that happens. Just pray about it. That's it. And it will, it will be fixed. And then it, that's not actually how it works out. And we've become harmed and disillusioned. Why pray then? But just like that there was something incredibly powerful in sitting with others in these messy, undone, shameful places, there is something powerful in being able to be with God and saying all of the things that are inside of you to God. And I'm not talking about like a dear Jesus version. I mean, it can be, right? But, but for me, it was more of just like, this is shit, God. 
I don't understand this, that whatever it is that you're feeling, you can say all the way through until there is nothing left, that you say all of the things that are inside of you. And when I was able to sit with God and say all of the things about being a mother, all of the doubt and the feelings of being an imposter with God, I got to a place of silence. And in the silence, there was not an answer, but there was peace. And I felt this small, still voice of the Spirit of God say to me, I am here. I am here. And having that peace and my friends not running from me started to open up a little spot, spot in my brain that, that I was able to begin to say, what if? Now, it, it was months and months of this, of really still saying like, what if, what is going on? I didn't get my answer until months later. So we didn't know that my son Deacon was allergic to shrimp. And so we're always trying to give them new food here, try this out. So he's eating the shrimp and he's like, oh, mom, I really like this shrimp. And as he's chewing, he starts to puff up and break out and it becomes clear really quickly. Oh my God, he's having a really severe allergic reaction to this shrimp. And so we threw him in the car and I'm driving as fast as I can. And the emergency room was only like five minutes away. And as I drove, I was just praying, please, God, please. Like there's nothing that I can do as a parent to help him get us to the emergency room. And so I screeched into the front of the emergency room and Crystal grabbed him and ran inside. And I was the one that needed to go park the car. It couldn't have been more than two minutes parking the car. And I ran inside the emergency and I was like, my son is go was going into anaphylactic shock and my wife came in and she just came in and please, I need to go back and see my son and my wife. And the, emerge the, the security guard said, oh, well, uh, now what was that again? And he began to move really slowly. And I repeated to him, my wife and my son are back there. I need to go back. He's in anaphylactic shock, please. And he moved slowly and he's like, well, there's this phone here and I need to call. And sometimes they don't answer the phone. And if they don't answer the phone, I can't let you back there. And then he said, or he asked, are you the birth mom? And I knew in an instant that I needed to lie if I wanted to get back to see Deacon and be with my wife. And I had no way of knowing that my wife was simultaneously back there saying, where is my wife? Please, someone bring her back. And so I said, yes, I am his birth mom. And he quickly gave me a name badge. He picked up the phone and within seconds, I was running back to be with them. And as the, the like fear of that moment and a moment that, that of course felt like I was an imposter, I straight up lied. Something else began to settle deep inside of me. And that was the deepest sense of that no one, no security guard, no homophobic comment or question, nothing can change the fact that I am Deacon and Dylan's mom. 
that in my diversity, even if someone else might not reflect back to me, that in my diversity, I began to find my biggest gift. That I am so glad that I'm a gay mom. I'm so glad that I don't quite fit in. Because what I have begun to see over and over again is that in my diversity as a gay mom, my greatest gifts lie. My greatest gifts as a woman and as a mom to my kids and my wife and to the larger community. That there was something about this man trying to block me from that, that I got to get in touch deeply with that. And so there's places in your life where you might not feel like you fit in, where you are an imposter, where someone actually is reflecting to you that you're an imposter. And my hope and my prayer is that as you allow yourself to be seen in those messy, undone places by others and by God, that you begin to get the gifts, receive and give the gifts of your diversity to both those around you and to the larger community, because I and we all need the gifts of your diversity. That the steps are the same, that wherever you find yourself in your life, however you see yourself as a fraud, wherever you're figuring out, that we need other human beings to mirror a truer reality to ourselves, that we need God to reveal to us and reflect back to us the truest image of what we bear, that Jesus is the incarnate one, the one who shows the fullness of God, the mystery, the wonder, the awe, the untouchable, something that is so expansive, but Jesus also shows the fullness of humanity something that we can touch and smell and taste and see, and that we need both. We need our humanity fully reflected back to ourselves, and we need the divine fully reflected back to ourselves. And it is a beautiful cycle of healing that we participate in. That at the end of this story of Zacchaeus, Jesus says these words, that the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. The better version of that that maybe makes more sense for our world is that the Son of Man simply means the human one. And that salvation is often is a tough word for us because we think of getting to heaven one day or somehow making the rapture, but maybe instead use the word liberation. And instead of lost, maybe it's just people who have minimized their humanity, who cannot fully see how others and how God sees them. And so the human one has come to liberate you and to liberate me, to liberate all of humanity, that we may see our full humanity with one another, that we may see how others truly see us, that we may see how God truly sees us. And in doing so, as we experience healing, we will heal the world. And so my friends, we are gonna jump into those same Zoom groups again, and we're gonna answer this question with one another. What steps can you take to see your truest self this week? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.